And we welcome you inside this Tuesday edition of the Sports Ethos Sacramento Kings podcast. Sam Comenti here with you alongside, as always, the incomparable and all-knowing Jillian Edge wearing her D'Lo and KC blue hoodie. We're always repping the other good SAC media people. And uh, Jill, the season's finally over. The misery has ended. I don't need to pain myself watching any more of these games or any of these highlights of the Kings as they finished 30 and 52 in this 2022 season. Uh, they haven't finished above. This is crazy. Everyone knows how long it's been since they made the playoffs. But just looking into it further, I mean, they're consistently around 30 wins. Like that's where they are consistent. They consistently win like 31 games, 32 games. Haven't they have not finished above 32 wins with the exception since they last made the playoffs in 2005? They haven't finished above 32 wins outside of the 2007 season. That was the Reggie Theus year. And then, of course, 2018 with Dave Yeager when they won 39 games. Every other year, they've been 30, 32 wins or below. You're still, you're still muted, Jill. <laughs> I did a, a breakdown of Kings wins by seasons in Sacramento as like 40 plus, 30 to 39, and oh, 30 better. and below. Even better. Um, so 40 plus was seven. And we might have had an eighth one. I mean, because that 80, uh, 98, 99 season, we made the playoffs and they were above 500, but it was a lockout season. So they didn't get a full, right. You know, so I just didn't include that at all, but if anything, that probably would have been an eight, right. That was, that was that first year they, they started turning it around. So 40 plus we've had seven seasons in Sacramento, seven, um, 30 to 39 wins. We've had 12. Hell yeah. 30 and under 17. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Like it takes hard work to be that bad. (laughs) That's next level. 17 seasons, 30 and under wins. And what's crazy is we're not even like, we don't even have the worst um, franchise record like Minnesota does, but it looks like they're turning it around. So they might pass us quickly if we don't figure it out. But it still blows my mind that Minnesota has a a worse win-loss record um, than us. But, yeah, I mean, it's – It's like when we we had – had those, like, eight straight seasons that saved us. Like, outside of that, we do have the – I mean, it's the worst by far. So That's what's saving us is those years in which we just kicked ass. Uh, So, so, I mean, they were just so good for such – that that early 2000s, late 90s period that – Yeah. It just totally making a discrepancy. And what did you have for those eight years? Consistency. You had consistently smart draft picks, smart trading. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it was, you had a coaching staff, you had a a GM that was finally hitting, you know, and like literally in everything he did between draft trades, free agency, like, and it wasn't even like big free agent signings besides like Blotty. Everything else was just savvy, you know, um, you finally kind of had like your stars and then you pieced around it, but, and it all happened to hit at the same time, right. You know, right. Uh, at that season. Um, we talked about that before on this, on the podcast of how that one off season, I mean, like literally everything just lined up perfectly and, you know, and that's what you're hoping happens here. Again, we just saw it with Cleveland. I know they lost the play in, but that was the kind of jump that they hit where they hit the draft like two years in a row made some good, uh, made a really good, you know, cheap trade and at the time and Jared Allen, and then they hit their free agency. So it's, 
you know, it's the blueprints are out there, whether they can pull it off. I mean, you know, that's, we're hoping it starts with a coach, <laughs> right? That has to be um, the but, start. Yeah. But I do want to mention like as excited as, as I am like them to do finally their first coaching search in you know, Vivek's history, <laughs> we also got the news that uh, Ken, you know, his, his contract was, was up yep. and uh, this is my thing. Uh, is this my thing about that? I'm perfectly fine with him not staying if the contract was up and it was like a mutual, you know, we're, we're going our separate ways because, you know, outside of, we still don't know, like, was Wes totally his choice or was it kind of like, Oh, he, like he was our number two. And we <laughs> kind of like want to put you together. I mean, we're hoping it seems like they get along as like a yin and yang. Right. I know James hands, that's what he calls them. Um, so I'm hoping that he at least had some input in that, you know, being that, but like, we haven't seen him really go out there and be like, I'm hiring this guy and bringing him in here. Like we see at other front offices when they, when they get built. And so my issue is more so not if he leaves, but if you don't actually replace him with someone of like similar quality, if not more, like you can't cheap out if you're trying to change a culture and you're trying to, to build here. You need talented staff up there because they're the ones that are actually finding the players like that. That's, that's their thing. And so to me, if it's just Monty and Wes, and then you have your like lower, you know, uh, personnel you know, guys head of like player personnel, which there are plenty, you know, that's common in the league. You have your like, you know, VPs of like player personnel and like different things. And you see like Paul Johnson, he's a, he's the head, he's that. And then he's like the, or maybe he's director of player personnel, which however they want to <laughs> label it, but right. he's there. And then he also does the G league. Totally fine. Like in new Orleans, you have Trajan Langdon is, um, the GM he's under Griffin, but he also is in charge of the G league. So like there, there are people out there where you have assistant GMs, um, and they work, you know, both sides. But if you're going to move Paul up into that, like, then you need to me, you still need to get another person because you're still a person down. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's one less voice. You're to me, you're back to Vladi where he had essentially, because no one was ever told that Peja did all that much, as much as I loved that guy. It was him and Ken and that they were trying to bring more people in, but people were saying no, because they felt like they were more qualified than him to be in that position. So I don't want another thing where you just have one assistant GM, but you're like two or three personnel positions less than everybody else that's qualified in the league. Like you can't be cheap when it comes to those spots. Like that's, you need smart people up there because they're the ones making the damn decisions regarding the players. Like as much as you need players and coaches, you're relying at the top to actually get you those people. Right. So, and good um, front offices, Jill, they, they're layered. They're very, very analytically driven. They have a lot of people in a lot of roles. It's not and, like yeah. Vlade wanted to do where it's like, I want two dudes. You know, I want me and my buddy over here and that's it. And Peja. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons I did those GM pods for anyone that listened to that is because I wanted to show what all these other organizations had under them and how under-equipped we were compared to that. And so if you start cost cutting, 
you know, and scouting and assistant GMs and all these, you know, uh, people with contract experience, um, CBA knowledge, like you're gonna, you're gonna be hurting compared to other people. So it's, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just throwing it out there. I hope that they don't cheap out and it was just, they let him go. And then they don't actually replace anything. Like we saw similar to kind of the assistant coaching stuff. It's, we didn't have nearly as much on our assistant bench as other people either. So, and shout out, you know, because it, this is deserving shout out to Ken for everything that man saw that man could write a best-selling novel. He stayed professional. He yeah. always was professional and he was no one doubts the man's very good at what he did, what he does, I should say, because he'll probably land somewhere else in a salary cap type of role. But I mean, Ken, Ken's the or back with the league office. Yeah. Or back with. And I, I think I've shared this on here, Jill. When I was back and living in SAC, I was a valet. And not only did I meet in my time valeting at Arden Fair Mall, which holy crap, are there stories I can tell you about that. But I met uh, Jesse Mermis, yeah. Mer, whoever, whatever his mm-hmm. Luke Walton's buddy. I met him. Yeah. He parked one of the valet spots, but I do distinctly remember also meeting Ken Contanella, who was walking by my valet stand. He was eating a banana and the right behind me at the valet stand. It was a trash can. So a lot, a lot of time I'd have to like get out of people's way so they could throw their crap out. And Ken like looks at me and I look at him. And I'm like, oh, sorry. And I step aside so he can toss in his banana peel. And then I just gave him a head nod. And that was it. I didn't say like, hey, aren't you Ken? Yeah. Yeah. But I just <laughs> it was definitely him. He had definitely just devoured a banana. Um, yeah. And so uh, based off that alone, I was like, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. He was never a leaker. He was never a drama guy. Like he nope. was just there doing his job. So yeah. unlike most Kings executives of the past 15 right. years, uh, looking so, at you, Pete D'Alessandro, you. Yeah. So, I, that, I mean, so that's my thing, like bring in your people, but be allowed to bring in your people. Let's, let's not be, if we really want to turn this around, can we please not be cheap? Like, can we not? No cutting corners. So that's that's my that's my rant. Two cents of <laughs> I'm okay with it as long as you actually replace it. <laughs> yeah, that seemed like that's asking too much, Jill. Um, yeah. All right, let's get to the the brunt of this episode as we have been doing the coaching candidate breakdown, brought to you by Jill Edge and a shout out to Dave Lack who tweeted at us yesterday, mostly at you, uh, giving you the cred, Jill, for exhaustively detailing these coaching candidates for us in the Sacramento Kings fan base. So we're at it again now with a yes. talented young, young. I mean, that's the trend here, Jill. He's young. Is the young guys. That's who you've been listing is these young up and coming people. So the next guy on our list is a Chicago or excuse me, a Milwaukee buck assistant coach bucks assistant yeah. coach. So, and what's so funny is if you follow me on Twitter, you saw me tweeting about him um, last week before his name was brought up. And I was saying, hey, like, I will be surprised if this guy's name is not brought up, just being how much he's interviewed in recent years. And so I'm super excited that we saw his name on the list. And to introduce you, if you have not read up on him yet, uh, Charles Lee. So as Sam mentioned, he is young. He's a young 37 right? So he's, he's young and ESPN named him as part of, they were doing um, like their top, you know, up and coming coaches. And this was last season. And he was listed in the same category as Wes Unseld, who, you know, that I love. Um, And they were part of the long runway group. 
And that was classified as the team initiates a full teardown and pledges patience to a new culturally oriented coach who can nurture and develop a young core. Will that be this place? I don't know. But that kind of gives you a background of what people view Charles as um, going into this. And it will make sense when I tell you about who he's kind of been interviewing for, um, et cetera. So he was a shooting guard in college, uh, the 2006 Patriot League Player of the Year. Uh, he helped guide Bucknell to two straight Patriot League championships and two straight NCAA tournament uh, second round appearances. Uh, he was called one of college basketball's best non-scholarship players by the New York Times. Um, his Bucknell team upset Kansas in the tournament, like that was their big win that year. Um, and he garnered even more recognition um, on that team by being a part of that. He graduated in 2006. He wasn't drafted, but a really smart team grabbed him for summer league. And that was the San Antonio Spurs. So he played for the, the Spurs uh, NBA summer league that, that year in 2006, that same year. And then he did so well, they actually offered him a training camp invite. He made it through camp and got to actually play in the preseason games. But unfortunately, he didn't make the regular season roster. That was still when they had uh, Ginobili, Parker, you know, Duncan, like that team was stacked. And so it was a long shot, but they were really impressed and he opened eyes. And so he made it as far as he did, which is, you know, impressive in itself, I guess, on the Spurs. So what he ended up doing was he went overseas and played in Israel, Belgium, and Germany. Um, and then towards the end, uh, he said that, he was kind of realizing, you know, all his family was back home and it was kind of time to give up, you know, that the basketball idea. So he came home and actually became a broker um, on Wall Street out of Chicago. Um, after a couple of years, he decided he wanted to get back into basketball. So he actually called up an old contact and asked if they knew of anything. Um, they said they didn't. Um, but at the moment, but at the best luck, uh, he'd keep in touch. That contact was actually Coach Bud. So um, that didn't work out. Uh, Coach Bud said they didn't have any openings. Um, so in June of 2012, Bucknell announced that Lee would be returning to his alma mater as an assistant coach. So he didn't get to go to the, you know, start off right in the pros, but he got to go back to his alma mater. And so he said that was a a no brainer. You couldn't turn that down. So he was there from 2012 to 2014, but what happened in 2014, his old contact coach, bud called and said, Hey, I have assistant coaches leaving. Um, I'd love to bring you in as, um, you know, a player development guy, uh, and an assistant coach. And so he accepted and that lasted for four years. And then in 2018, you know, coach bud moved to Milwaukee and he moved with him. So you might be wondering, how did he get started or how did he meet Coach Bud? Well, Coach Bud actually coached that summer league team that Charles played for uh, with the Spurs. Uh, Coach Bud was really impressed with them um, and was, you know, part of the, the reason why he got the training camp invite. And so um, they kept a really good relationship. And so it just goes to show you never know, you know, those connections, you just keep, you know, when they're good, keep them good. And you just never know what'll happen. And, uh, 
even though coach bud didn't have anything the first time he reached out in 2012 he you know kept him in mind in 2014 brought him on and the rest they say is history so uh some things that charles says is coach bud helped uh when he was playing he helped him see the game and uh see the game and play the game in a different way. He truly learned how to be a professional player and what kind of work it took um, and takes to play at a higher level. So I mentioned that he, uh, the last couple of years, he has been interviewing for a position. So he was actually a finalist for the uh, Pelicans before and after Stan Van Gundy. So that's kind of brutal. You were a finalist twice and didn't get it. But just goes to show, I guess, what, what they think of him, that they thought about him two times. Um, but an interesting thing is, even though Stan Van Gundy beat uh, Charles out, uh, Stan Van Gundy wanted to hire him on his staff. Lee said no and chose to stay in Milwaukee. He was smart to do that because they want a ring. <laughs> so um, something else is he was a finalist to replace Nate McMillan uh, in Indy when he went and took the uh, Atlanta job. The last two seasons, as I mentioned, he's been interviewed and a finalist at a couple different ones, uh, just to list the different places he's he's been uh, interviewed for the last just the last two years. Uh, the Pels, uh, twice Pacers, Wizards, OKC, and Magic. So again, I mentioned at the beginning he was that long runway dude. You're seeing Pelicans, Pacers, Wizards, OKC, and Magic, all teams that have been that tear down trying to build up and are trying to get that long sustaining coach. So, you know, I would view the Kings the same way. They're trying to be on the come up and have someone that's gonna last. If they're good, a 37 year old's gonna last. So some other things, uh, he's credited with helping develop basically all of Milwaukee. (laughs) Um, It's often talked about him understanding the relationship between Giannis and Middleton and what that pairing means to the team's success. One of the things that the, the Pelicans viewed was they knew how well he worked with Giannis and Middleton and understanding their relationship that they thought that he would pair well with Zion and Brandon Ingram and being able to nurture, you know, that pairing and, and go forward. Um, so I guess you could view maybe the same thing as like a Sabonis Fox situation. So something to think about, um, Lee's dude, Lee's duties are known to include opponent scouting and player development. He understands strategy. His reputation around the league is that he's a young, brilliant basketball mind who can grow with uh, who can grow with the team. Again, we mentioned that based on the teams that I told you he was interviewing a finalist for. He says, when I got into coaching, I wanted to be able to impact players, kids, men's lives. I think on the court and also off the court. Uh, part of the whole player development thing isn't just on the court. It's like this holistic view of how can I help you be the best person possible? So those were quotes from the uh, Mecca podcast that he did last December. I recommend listening to that. It's on YouTube Um, and it's actually a video so you can see them talking. Um, Under Coach Coach Bud, everyone, uh, he says, everyone has equal opportunity and a voice in meetings. He challenged you to have an opinion. You couldn't come to a meeting and not have some kind of an idea. You always had to have an opinion and evidence behind the idea. He always held people accountable and did a good job defining roles. He did a great job relating to players. You always knew what he expected of you and where you stood with him. Again, the last two I've mentioned, Keith and Will Hardy also came from San Antonio. You probably heard me mention the exact same things. Coach Bud is from that. Um, And so... 
you know, they're very much that they want everyone having a role and a voice, but if you're going to do it, you have to be able to back it up. So with the Bucks, the central focus with Lee continues to be player development. Um, and he continues to help young players with day-to-day continual growth. Uh, he knows that his goal isn't to just end up helping guys develop, but he wants to be standing on the sidelines and subbing in players. He says, my goal is to become a head coach. I know that it won't be easy, but I have to continue to work hard each day and continue to grow as a communicator and strategist. I need to let the chips fall. I don't know when the opportunity might happen. It's a competitive industry with many smart and hardworking coaches. I need to continue to work on becoming a better coach and person than the day before. If I can do that, then I know things will work out. A former teammate had to say this about him. He taught me the value of putting in the work before and after practice. He taught me how important fan interaction is. And he also taught me to protect my teammates at all costs. I know Kings fans would like that one. (laughs) So something else, uh, Kevin Arnovitz said, few assistant coaches saw a bigger season to season jump in our informal poll than Charles Lee at the time this, he was 35, who's in his sixth season working under Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta and now Milwaukee fans of Lee who played professionally overseas before spending a couple of years as an equity trader on wall street, tout him as a five tool coach who's every bit as comfortable having meaningful conversations with the backup point guard as he is dining with the team owner. Those who've worked with him say he has an intuitive sense of how to inspire improvement from players, but also understands high-level strategy and the preparation required to implement it. He is, in the words of one peer, someone who is categorically going to be an NBA coach. Lee Shine last offseason in his first foray of the interview circuit, where those on the other side of the Zoom calls observed a 36-year-old coach with a rare combination of IQ and emotional intelligence. For Lee, it's just a matter of time. And I think that's something that's kind of not talked about enough is that some of these interviews were over Zoom calls. And to me, if you made a good impression over Zoom call, Impressive. Good for you, because I know a lot of people, you know, can't get that translated. So that's that's it for my piece on him. But what I'm going to do is um, I mentioned this to you, Sam, but um, The Athletic did uh, a really great piece. It's called 40 Under 40 um, for the league. And so I recommend if you have The Athletic to go out there and look at that and look at everybody else. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the piece that they did on Lee because it was actually a question answer. And so since I know everybody doesn't have the subscription, I want to actually read off his answers because I do think um, it kind of gives you his mindset. And it's a lot of it's about his coaching methods and what he wants to do going forward. So work with me here. It's going to kind of be a little bit lengthy, but um I think it's interesting. So how many, how many Q and A's are there, Jill in total? I think it's three, okay. but his answer, his answers are pretty lengthy. So, All right. but they're good to me, but they're good. Like for a 37 year old, like the way he's putting this, I was impressed. So take it away, Jill. We'll see. Yeah. So the first question was you've worked with Mike in two stops. Now, how much have you pulled from him? And what is your approach as a coach dealing with NBA players? Here's his first answer. I would say I've drawn a lot from Coach Bud. I've been blessed to have worked for a guy who was coach of the year, who's won championships even outside of Milwaukee, but as an assistant, obviously, in San Antonio. 
And then the other assistant coaches who he's had on staff, I've gotten to draw and pull from Taylor Jenkins, who's now crushing it in Memphis, Darvin Ham, who we all know and love. I'm adding that part who we all know and love. <laughs> um, Nevin and Kenny Atkinson again. So he mentions Taylor Jenkins and then Darvin Ham and Kenny Atkinson, who are also on the, you know, the theoretical list that we're all hearing about. It's been a special group to kind of draw a lot of different thoughts and ideas from. But I would say what I've learned over the years, there are so many variables that would go on that go on in a day-to-day process and throughout a season. And the thing that I keep falling back on is just like controlling what you can what you can control. The schedule's tough and injuries happen. But what can uh, we just be discussed and obsessed with just controlling what we can control, which is our preparation on a daily basis, our effort levels, and then our mental makeup all things we like. I'm a big power of positivity guy. Yeah, there's some adversity. There's some quote unquote failures or losses, but how are we going to respond to that? And how do we just develop this thicker skin to be able to deal with these adverse situations? Then controlling what you can control kind of flows into my coaching philosophy. One, daily improvement. How can we make sure that we're just making everyday matter? Whether it's on the court, we're going to improve with our skill set, whether it's in the weight room, getting stronger, whether it's the diet part of our nutrition, just to help our body be able to recover. Have you just be obsessed again, like daily improvement and not getting bored with the day-to-day improvements? The second part is competitiveness. I think that if you can compete at a high level physically, but also the mental side of it as well, you're going to put yourself in a good position to win a lot of games. And then the third part of my philosophy is just togetherness. How can we come together as a team? How can I, as the head coach, or even as an assistant coach, build relationships where I'm earning their trust? Where they'll let me coach them. They will allow me to help impart some wisdom to them as basketball players. And also just admit because I see, uh, and also just admit because I want to see the best for them. And I think that once players feel that there's a connection as a real genuine relationship, makes them want to play a little bit harder for you. So that was the answer to question one. Next question. You want like a glass you... of water real quick or something? Or like... Yeah. <laughs> I told you he's like really detailed in what he's saying. So his three philosophy, what was it? Daily improvement, competitiveness, physically and mentally, and then um, togetherness. So those were like his big things. So number two. What have you learned from working with Giannis and coaching Giannis when it comes to coaching star players and getting them to trust you? He said, being honest, not beating around the bush, understanding the game and doing your homework and watching the film and going back and forth, but then just finding opportunities to hit hit him on things that are just honest. It's not always, hey, you're the best. You know what you're doing. It's great. No, he wants to be coached. Like all the players from Giannis down to our 15 guys, Lindell Wigginton, Javon Carter, or Jordan Nora, whoever it is, they just want you to be honest with them and upfront. I think that when you outline clear expectations for players, they respect that more than anything else. That one's a little bit shorter. Okay. (laughs) So what was it like winning the title? What was that like for you personally? He says, my talking... Uh, my talking about kind of controlling what you could control. There's so much hard work that goes into a season. And every year we all have this goal, obviously of trying to compete or win a championship. And we've fallen short in previous years, but we've had some great seasons. 
staying patient, but continuing to trust your hard work that it's going to pay off. And then last year, we finally hit the pinnacle, which is kind of what you've been working for. It felt really good because we've kind of, uh, we've been kind of at the top of the mountain or really close to the top of the mountain of getting to the finals. Last year, we finally got there and it just felt great to see it and all the hard work that we put in, all the daily improvement, all the adversity that we faced, um, that we've gone through, we came together, we had grown. That was that one. So last question. This I think is, is important just as much as the first one. After that, it seemed like you were interviewing with several teams for a head coaching job. It looked like at least according to reports that you were close to New Orleans. What did you take away from the interview process? And what do you have your eyes on now when it comes to being a head coach one day? So I thought this was really poised for a 37-year-old, this answer. Definitely learned how to accept rejection. In all seriousness, number one, it was just an honor to be in these conversations. To be young, but to know that my hard work is paying off. I'm just kind of staying focused on just being the best assistant coach that I can possibly be um, at a place and not worry too much about the self-promotion. Hey, like that's the King's number one issue. People be worrying about their self, right? So not worry too much about the self-promotion or doing anything extra, just really working hard and diving into whatever responsibilities the team needs. Then I would say on top of it, just accepting feedback and understanding what am I going to have to do to grow so that one day I can be in the seat of being a head coach for one of these organizations. There's only 30 of them, and it was kind of tough to keep hearing no. But after self-reflection, you take the feedback, and now it's just my responsibility to keep trying to grow in those areas that they think that I can show some improvement again. That was it. So again, he said he learned how to accept rejection, not be extra or self-promotion, just do my job and it'll come. But then to me, the big highlight at the end was, There's only 30 of them and it's kind of tough to keep hearing no. So I think this often gets lost in the, not just the Kings, but other ones. Who's going to want that job? Again, this guy's 37. He's been interviewing for what, six organizations in the last two years. He's seeing how hard it is to get, to get that spot. At some point, you can't really be picky if you want to land if you want to land that job. I mean, yeah. you look at the Elston Turners of the world that have been here for how long? And he interviewed countless times, but was never told yes. Like at, at some point, those guys become, you know, just great assistants. But for some people, they will accept a job that's, you know, other people might consider shit. But if they really want that opportunity, they'll say yes. So again, something to think about, but I thought that was a really good interview from him. Yeah. And again, pretty poised for a a 37 year old and something to keep in mind. He's 37, but he's been with the bucks since what? 2000, 2014. So, I mean, that's a long time on a bunch, you know, he was what 28, 28, 29. I'm not sure when his birthday is. So it's, um, he's been with the bucks since 2018, but he's been with bud since 20, I mean, sorry with, uh, with, uh, Atlanta. Sorry. Yeah. So he's been, he's very much a Budenholzer tree, which there obviously are a lot of guys yeah. that are of that, saying, tree. How, that. We talk about young assistants all the time. 
but he's 37 and he's been, he's been in the league since 2014. So, I mean, he's, he's been around. Yeah. He's a season there and and doing these coaching breakdowns and a coach since 2012. So if you think of not even just NBA, but coaching in general, he started in his mid twenties. So, you know, he knows how to deal with young kids. He is a young kid. He played overseas. Ex player. Yeah. Ex player. So, it is a, an impressive pattern, Jill, of some of these coaches that you've revealed. A lot of the, I mean, they've pretty much all been very young candidates. Is like they've had these resumes. They they've built quite a, a rap sheet already, and they're not even most of them forty years old. It makes yeah. me question what I've done at twenty three. I feel like right, I should and, be doing more. <laughs> and what's even crazy is like, I mean, I will get into like right now. I've been kind of telling you about the. The new guys that haven't, I mean, and even Kenny, he's, he had his job, but he's still, it was only one spot. I'll get into the Browns and the Cliffords and all that stuff in the world, but even reading about some of them, I've noticed even some of my biases of what I thought, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, I was like, are not even like what I remember is not even what I'm getting on paper. So it's just something to think about when we hear all these names that, um, I'm just hoping that you learn new things and that maybe right. things that you thought you've come to find out maybe weren't true or you didn't think about. Like, I mean, I'll just throw this out there because I'll, I'll be talking about Mike Brown, but I mean, he started in the league in 92 as a video coordinator and then was picked up um, eventually, you know, went to the Spurs, but no one ever talked about his time prior to the Cavs. And even when he got his first head coaching job as a Cavs, he was 35. So he was even younger than Lee here. Like yeah. that's what they thought about him at the time. So I know like, and he's only like 52. He's younger than Kenny. So like, in my mind, I'm thinking Mike Brown is like older and I'm like, damn, it's just because he's been around that long. So just not to go off on tangents, but as, as I continue <laughs> these things, um, I'm just hope that, you know, you learn new things and maybe some things that you thought about someone, maybe, which, um, you end up not because at the end of the day, like I'm giving all these names and people are always asking me like, Oh, who's your number one? Like I'm giving you a bunch of guys that I like that I could be yeah. sold on. Any I was about of to these say guys. that. And at the end of the day, I don't care if they pick my guy, I just want them to win. But all of these guys have experience, like whether you think they have experience, they have basketball and NBA experience. Like it might not be the head coach, but that's where, can you build out a staff? Right. Like that, to me, that would be the key for Charles. Like he's, he's getting all these when he finally gets that. The key for him is to be able to, to build out a staff because you don't need a coach that does everything. That's what you have your assistants for to, to fill in holes of where someone might be missing too. You just need a cohesive team that knows how to hit every, you know, little part. And yeah. so when you think about a coach too, don't just think of, Oh, he's only this way, or he's only offense. He's only defense. Like you're building out a staff that will have offense. will have defense. will have, you know, player development. Like that's what it's supposed to be. We just haven't really had that a lot. Like to me, we had it under Malone and we had it under Jaeger. Like those were the last times we had like legit cohesive coaching staffs where those guys had worked together before and they were a well-oiled machine and you're seeing two of them right now two under that we had for uh uh one under malone staff and one under jaeger staff 
are part of Chris Finch's staff in Minnesota and killing it. Like just because it don't, I would say don't let bad decision-making the last so many years cloud what you should be doing or what other teams are doing. (laughs) Right. So that's, but most coaches out there aren't, you know, Swiss army nice. Like they're, you know, usually particularly good at one thing, which is, and then they have assistants that, that fill in all the holes, which is what one of the biggest pet peeves people had with Luke Walton was he was just hiring his pals. He wasn't necessarily hiring guys that were equipped to be really good assistant coaches. They were just guys he knew from back in Arizona or guys he used to hoop with. And it wasn't this really incredible staff. That was kind of why that wasn't kind of why that's what they said was the reason why he got fired in LA Jill was they asked if he could change some of his staff and he said no. So then it wasn't as much of a firing as it was. They were going separate ways because they couldn't agree on some changes on Luke Walton's staff. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. And we, we have some, we've had some really good coaching staffs in these past 16 years of King's purgatory and it just hasn't and translated. You know, and you, just lost Jill's internet. That is a bummer. Uh, okay. Get up. Okay. So <laughs> there was, I'm obviously my Wi-Fi of shut it. off <laughs> mid rant. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I was like, just staring at frozen you on the screen for about 15 seconds before <laughs> I realized what was happening. So that was funny. I might not even edit that just because that would be funnier. Me just being like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Jill. It's the king. So it fits perfectly, right? Just freezing. <laughs> yeah. Just making a mistake, yeah. right? Right. It's something. Kind of to end, to end our little rant is get someone that can build out a staff yep. that's going to last, that works together, mm-hmm. and I'll be excited, whoever it is, right? If you can do that, I will be excited. <laughs> uh, yes. I will be too. And uh, we already kind of saw it with the coaching or the general manager in the front office, right? Monty, I think most people would agree, built out a pretty good staff and added a lot more voices. Uh, Now he's got one more to fill potentially with Catsanella being let go, but there's good people in that front office that we didn't see in past regimes. So maybe, and hopefully we'll see that with the head coaches. So that's Jill's next head coaching candidate, Charles Lee, 37 year old assistant for the Milwaukee Bucks. Jill's got a million more on her list. I know she's never actually answered how many names are on that list, but I think that's probably because you don't even know. I feel like this list is infinite. Oh, there's, there's so many out there. I mean, yeah. you know, by now the same way I said with the GM one where people were True. like, how many I'm like, it's I'm, at this point, I'm just telling you the talent that's out there. Yep. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, and like you know I said, I'll, on. yeah, I'll be, I'll be getting to some of the, I know people want to call them retreads or, you know, <laughs> however you want to describe them, the ones with experience, um, I'll be getting into those, um, in the coming weeks. I was kind of which ones they were going to be because we do know some things about them. Right. So, um, but Clifford and Brown will probably be my next one just cause those are guys we've heard on from multiple, you know, reporters out there now. So there's yeah. probably a good chance that, that they're in there. So and some look of the for name- those guys coming up and some of the names that were, mentioned in Woj's tweet you've already touched on Darvin Ham yes. uh was Ken, was Atkinson on that list as well mm-hmm. yeah so we've Kenny already Darvin circled. and then that's why I was laughing I was like Lee, yes, yes. It, like just happened to be this week so I was like oh 
Charles Lee was perfectly perfect. timed. Thank you, Woj. Um, and then our own Sacramento-based Woj, which would be Jill, in terms yeah. of knowing, knowing what's going on. Uh, but And I will say, Dennis, remember, these are just some of the names that are being reported. This isn't sure. any kind of official list, like more names could be added, some Dark names horse. could be taken off, you know. So Dark just horse candidates. Remember that. Yep, yeah. and that's why you you cast a wide net, Jill. That's why we have names like Will Hardy. Hardy, what was his name? Will Hardy, yep. And Hardy. then even I did Darko, Darko the Memphis I one. Say. And I just read a new thing. He's been, uh, they've had to pay him uh, uh, a bump in salary the last two years, basically, to get him to stay in Memphis. So I know that was kind of an off-the-wall name that not a, people, not a lot of people might have heard of. But, I mean, like, again, it's names that, like, People are having to pay to stay. So just um, just because they're not, you know, the, the big names that are out there doesn't mean they're not well-respected within. Oh, I hope we didn't just lose Jill again. She just froze again. Jillian. Oh, man. Yeah, the Wi-Fi has been going in and out at Jill's place. So... Okay, so for about the, the second time in a five minutes here, we lost Jill. Her Wi-Fi has been going in and out at her apartment all day. So we kind of deserve this for thinking we could record a podcast without any issues. But I'm just going to close it out because uh, I'm the one with the solid Wi-Fi would appear. Um, and tell you guys to, of course, stay tuned for more coaching reveals uh, as the Kings begin their coaching search. Gentry has been told that he will not be back. He uh, might get a front office role, which that seems kind of ridiculous, but I'm sure Jill will touch on that in future episodes. But what I wanted to say in the importance of this episode for me is that this is my last episode on the Sports Ethos, formerly Hoopball, but now Sports Ethos Sacramento Kings podcast. It sucks that I can't be saying this uh, with Jill here in the, in the Zoom meeting with me, but this has been truly a blessing to do this podcast these past seven or eight months when I took over for Damien in the fall, um, big shoes to fill. I don't think I filled those shoes, but I instead just set out my own pair and, and did my own thing here with Jill on this podcast. And I, I think we did a great job expanding this Kings cast and, and what we bring and what we provide to Sacramento and to the fans of Sacramento of the Sacramento Kings, bringing in guests, bringing in, um, fans, just anybody, anybody that was willing to chat with us, we tried our best to give them a voice on this platform, gave me a voice. Jill, obviously, uh, has created quite the name for herself. So thank you to anyone that's listened. And if you're listening to this, thank you for listening. Even when the season's over, still listening to our pod that just shows how kick-ass you are and why the Sacramento Kings fan base is the best fan base, not just in basketball, but in sports. So uh, appreciate you guys for putting up with me and my silliness. I'm going to miss doing this. Uh, the podcast is now solely Jill's, which it, uh, I think has always kind of been. People didn't come on and listen because of me. They came on to listen to Jill. And so it's going to its rightful person in Jillian Edge, the incomparable and all-knowing. And she will take good care of you guys. Uh, so, yeah, I could ramble forever and be uh, somber about this and look back at how much fun this has been. But we'll end it there. And we appreciate you guys listening. Follow along with the Sports Ethos. If you follow me on Twitter, follow along with me. You don't need to ditch me and unfollow me now that I'm not doing the pod. Uh, I'm still involved in news and sports. So we can still be friends if you'd like. But uh, yeah, until next time, take care of Jill, everybody. 
She's the best. She's she's the chosen one. And uh, one last time, Slater dudes. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.